Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... Mark Schindler is in the building. Schindler, what's going on, man? Man, it has been a busy week. Uh, feels like anything and everything has been going on. We're randomly getting a LeBron presser one-on-one before games tonight. So interested to see what that entails. Um, but yeah, man, things things are good. Just uh, all over the place. How about you? Things are good, man. Uh, past the holidays now. I feel fully healthy again, which is really good. Um, I'm no longer like just having to like run to the toilets, vomit, which is great. Very happy. For so you. I'm feeling awesome at this point. But unfortunately, a fan base that shouldn't feel awesome is the Houston Rockets. So we're going to start with the Houston Rockets, and I kind of want to go on a bit of a rant on my frustrations with watching that team play. Uh, and then I want to talk about all NBA picks with you. That's really going to be the crux of the show. The Rockets are going to be like 15 minutes at the top. Then we're probably going to do like 40 minutes, 35 minutes on all NBA. And then we're going to talk about Bryce Sensabaugh, my dearly beloved Ohio State Buckeye, who is unfortunately slowly but surely uh, on the track to being a one and done. Uh, This just keeps happening to Chris Holtman. Unfortunately, he keeps evaluating these guys at a better level than anyone else. Malachi Branham is another example of this from last year where, you know, you think you're getting these guys for two years and it just ends up that their offensive system is so good. And the player ends up being way better than what he was ranked in the recruiting class that uh, it ends up being a situation where they don't keep them for multiple years. But I do want to start with the Houston Rockets. So the Houston Rockets are a mess. They are currently 10 and 29. They are last place in the Western conference. For me, the, the frustrations with Houston they're 29th in offense, 28th in defense. They're not really doing anything well right now. And there's nothing about the process that you can point to that looks positive. Before I get into my spiel in terms of my, like, what I want to see happen at this point, what have been your impressions of the Houston Rockets thus far this season, Mark? Um, I think it's it's tough because on one hand, yeah, you can look at the record and it's been, it's been disappointing. I do think there have been a couple of uh, – like nicer growths. We had that, that two or three week spurt where they were really playing well. It felt like they were in every single game. Um, felt like they were really starting to find some sort of ife- offensive identity. And then the last few weeks, that's really dissipated. Um, we got the Eric Gordon comments like right after Christmas, um, basically saying that they, I mean, he wasn't wrong, but to have a player who's a veteran on that team come out and say that, uh, knowing that they're being recorded was was something. Uh, basically, just saying, you know, like we haven't improved on anything. We suck. Um, and I mean, just seeing some of the stuff too. Like, I don't know how much validity there was to it, but from somebody who was at the game, uh, I believe two days ago, um, when they got absolutely destroyed by the Utah Jazz as the game went down the stretch, Jabari Smith was yelling to 
pull Alperin Shangun because of, of what it looked like defensively. Was um, it was it the Jazz or the Pelicans? It was I the Pelicans remember. game, my bad. I meant yeah, I, th- I thought it was game. the Pelicans. And point being, that's not to point fingers at any player, but it's clear that players are pointing fingers at one another on that team. Um, that's not great. I think that's contributing to a lot of what has been playing out on court, which is – like I don't like using the term selfish basketball, but there's been a lot of selfish basketball. Being oh no, no, no. Right we have to use it for the Houston Rockets. It's there's been a really, really difficult to played. watch at times, um, and it just does not feel good. I mean, Steve uh, Stephen Silas got thrown out of that game. Uh, was that against? I can't remember if that was against the Jazz and Pels right on, now on, on top of my head. But point being, there's a lot bubbling up in Houston right now that has felt like it's been on the horizon for a while, and I think it's finally coming to a head. Yeah, they've lost 11 of 12, uh, including games to the Spurs, the Magic, uh, the Knicks at home, the Mavericks at home, the Jazz at home, the Blazers at home, the Heat at home. Like, a lot of these games just weren't all that, like, competitive either. Like, the Jazz game was not competitive at home even. The Knicks game was not competitive at home, it felt like. And they've had some competitive ones. Like, they lost by six to Orlando. You know, they lost by, uh, I want to say like three to the heat when starting this little 11 losses in 12 games stretch here. But when I watch that team, there just is no, it feels like, I don't want to say that there is no, it feels like there is no plan. It feels like there is a lot of selfish basketball play occurring on the court where, for instance, you know, last night or two nights ago, I think against the Pelican, I can't remember. There's like a possession that Steve Jones pointed out on Twitter. And like, I watched this full game, but like Steve, I think put it the right way. Just like, where is the ball movement basically where it's like, okay, Jalen Green is in the corner. He's going to dribble for eight seconds. He's going to kick it out to Eric Gordon. He's going to dribble for eight seconds. And he kicks it to Kevin Porter. They haven't even gotten inside the three-point line yet, it feels like. He's going to dribble for eight seconds, then he's going to throw up a wild shot, right? And that's just not good basketball. But more importantly, for this team that is very young, and there are other issues here in terms of, like, the roster build and everything, it's just not conducive to development. That That's the big thing that I keep coming back to. Like, the way that the Rockets play basketball is not helping any of these guys actually develop on the court. And they need Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Alperin Shengun, Tari Eason, etc. down the list in terms of all of the young guys, Usman Garuba, Ty uh, Ty Washington, Kenya Martin Jr., like, etc. They have so many young guys. They need them to get better. And yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. is like second in the NBA in turnovers right now. I think Jalen Green's like top 20 in the NBA in turnovers right now. And it's just because they dribble constantly and incessantly game after game after game. And like, part of it is that you can look at it and be like, like when I, for instance, like when I watch Alper and Shengu, right. I don't know if he's good or not yet watching him. Like, there are great things that he does on the court. There are phenomenal things he does on the court where he can handle the ball. He's a legit mismatch opportunity. He can go out and grab and go and transition. He's a really high level passer. He's a great offensive rebounder, but like 
He's really bad defensively still. He's not good in pick and roll coverages. Uh, he's a bit undersized for the center position, so the bigger guys can kind of beast him a little bit on the defensive glass. Uh, that actually has been like a bit of a problem for them this year, that he doesn't really hold up his own on the defensive glass. And then on top of it, he can't shoot and loves to operate in that little like mid-post area. So when Jalen Green, Kevin Porter are driving – he can't really pop out and shoot because he can't shoot. He's just not a threat there. So nobody treats him as a threat there. So everyone just drops them and says, okay, we're just going to pack the paint the entire time. And he's often kind of standing in the mid post or in the dunker spot. And it clogs everything up in a very real way to where there are things he does on the court that are great. And like when they run the offense through him at times, you can see a world where he can do a lot of those things and make your team better in the same way that someone like a Nikola Vucevic can. But then you watch them dribble and try and like operate in the mid post. And it's like, well, he's just kind of taking up space in a big way. And like, isn't really a threat uh, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, unless he's like crashing the offensive glass off of misses. So it, it's complicated. Like there Alperin Shengun is like a very, is like just indicative, I think of, this entire situation and we can point to the front office, I think here, right? Like we we need to have a conversation about that where there are no real veteran leaders seemingly on this team outside of maybe Eric Gordon, right? Jay Sean Tate's the captain, but Jay Sean Tate up until last night, like has missed a lot of time. I think he's played five games this year, six Mm -hmm. games, something like that. Um, It's, you know, Eric Gordon's coming out in the public saying there is no improvement. Uh, I believe was his quote. They need vets. Like they they need older dudes to come in and hold people accountable as much as anything. It seems like Jabari Smith is trying to hold people accountable. Like him yelling at Alper and Shengun. I don't really have a problem with that, to be honest. Uh, Him yelling at the coaches to take him out. Like that's competitive. It's frustrating. They're losing a lot, but it comes out of a positive place. If I was Shangun, I'd be frustrated with that, like understandably, mm-hmm. but I think it comes from a good place. And yeah. there are real front office. Well, there are real front office yeah. issues, but ultimately where I'm going with this is I do think it's time for a coaching change there. I don't know if Steven Silas is bad. Like, I don't know if he's a bad coach or not, but I do feel pretty confident at this point that he's not the coach for this group to try and take them to the next developmental level. Yeah. You can point to the front office and say that they have not made Steven Silas's job easy in terms of not giving them vets, but I don't think Steven Silas is helping matters at all with what he's doing out there. I, I, I just don't like this the process is not good when you watch the Houston Rockets. So I I think it's time to be honest. Like, I I think we've kind of seen enough at this point. They've lost 11 of 12. I think this is kind of the time that's ripe. And as much as anything, what a coaching change does is it changes. It puts the onus more on the players at that point. I think to say, look, we've changed the coach. We, we know that like now if it's, if it still fails after we've changed the coach, that's a good indication that it's not the coach, it's you guys. And then we have to start making moves with you guys. So as much as anything, I just want to see a different process. I want to see different offense being run. I want to see more ball movement. 
I want to see more. I, I just want to see more like inclusive basketball uh, when these guys play. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be a two-pronged attack for them. Because like you're mentioning, it's not – I mean, I haven't really been inspired by Steven Stylus, but also it's hard to know with what he has to work with. I mean he, – He might be an okay coach. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying that he's a bad coach. Oh, I yeah, no, don't I don't think, think it's working there. For sure. I mean, like, when, when you start having all of this shit happening with, with guys blowing up like this, like, that's – to me, that is on coaching in some, to, to some extent. But, it, like, I appreciate you bringing up the front office as well because – this is just not much on on just as much on them to clean up. Sorry, saying mess is the wrong way to put it, but like this is the bed that they made, so they have to they have to rectify it. Like they have to be willing to bring in a couple vets. Like I think that it is already time to to part with a few few of their young players. As much as that's not appealing, they need to bring in veteran players who are a going to be comfortable in their roles and b are going to elevate what guys do. Like when you have so many guys who are all trying to figure out their games. Um, and clearly, like you have nights where some guys are maybe trying to do a little too much because they're still trying to figure out their roles or they want to have a bigger role. And that's not a, an indictment on them. That's just that's part of being a young player. And I think when you even look ahead to what this next draft is going to be, they have multiple picks in this coming draft. How are they like I already have questions about how they're supposed to, you know, obviously it's going to be different because you're going to have really high end talent coming in based on where they draft. But that adds even more questions to, okay, how are you going to, to fill out this roster in a meaningful way that gives you a, in, like, I mean, there have been nights where, um, you know, just based on a week, even with, with guys being healthy, like Steven Silas has played like 11 guys and gone into very different lineups night to night. Like there's, there's gotta be some, some more direction built out through that. Um, and I, again, I think part of that comes with adding more veteran guys who can, who can show that up. Um, who can be steady presences, um, you know, on the sidelines and in the locker room, and just in general having more direction there. And that's not, again, not to say that there isn't a good base of what the talent is, but in terms of actually like, you know, hammering it out into something that's going to be uh, different from this next year, I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you that they need to make some pretty significant changes. Well, I'm glad you brought up the picks thing, right? Like they have a lottery pick like undeniably what will be a very, very high end pick in this draft. They're currently uh, tied with Charlotte for the worst record in the league, but they also have pick 28 in this draft. If I was them, I would move pick 28 because I just would not want another like borderline young player on this roster. You have Usman Garuba, KJ Martin, Tari Eason, Ty Ty Washington, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? In terms of the young guys that you're already trying to develop on this team, that's just a lot of roster spots for young guys that are all trying to find their games at once. I, I think it would behoove them to move this pick and just say, look, we can't take on another borderline prospect like this, right? Go out, move that pick for a veteran who can just be an adult in the room, right? Uh, I know that like, here's the other part of that too. That makes you potentially better this year. And that's not something anyone in Houston wants at this point, I would imagine like they probably want to be worse as much as they can be, but like, can you find a veteran that isn't going to help your win loss total this year, but will bring some accountability to the organization. They're so, they're so bad at this point though, that I think that like even adding real accountability just given how young they are and everything, it's probably not 
going to affect their win-loss total to the point where they fall out of the top four, right? Like they're, they are six and a half games ahead of the number six spot right now. So like they're, they have no chance really of falling out of the top five in the draft lottery. And like the, the odds go for number one overall, which is really the pick that they want like 14% to 10 and a half percent at that point. I almost think that like getting better and getting more veteran help in there is probably worth that three and a half percent drop odds wise in terms of getting the number one overall pick. Uh, And the odds are that you probably won't drop that far, even if you get better, just because a lot of your guys are still trying to figure out how to play at this point. So yeah, that's where I'm at on Houston. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. It's frustrating. It's a frustrating team to watch, Uh, but I think they need to make a change. Like they they need to, they need to just make a circuit breaker move. And typically the circuit breaker is changing coaches in Mm -hmm. my opinion. So, uh, okay. Let's go to all NBA picks. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory.
Okay. Let's jump into all NBA picks. Can you remember? I think it's always hard midseason to make all NBA picks because some guys get hurt. The minute totals are all a lot closer than what they'll be at the end of the year. You know, things come up over the course of the back half of the season that sometimes just knock guys out of the all NBA picture. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember anything being this hard as picking all NBA teams. Yeah, this sucked, frankly. Um, <laughs> I did this for like an hour and a half yesterday, and I just kind of – yeah. Doing first and second team was fine, other than like a couple bumps where I was like, God, I want to have this guy first team, but I have to have him second team. Doing a third team sucked, frankly. Like I just I did not it's enjoy horrible. that. Um it worked horrible. So, to to all of you wonderful people listening, we're going to upset some of you. I already have an idea of the demographic I will upset. I'm sorry in advance. I don't hate your player. I just hate that I had to do this. So um I no, I love that I got to do it with you, Sam. But yeah, this is uh I'm excited to dive in. Let's do it. Do you just want to rip rip him off and go from there? Let's just rip him off. But we're going to kind of talk about like candidates and everything first. So for the guard position, I was able to narrow down to Devin Booker, Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, John Morant. Yeah, the only other people that I considered um, that I ended up like, I mean, there will be some guys in there that I ended up not having, but like I had Kyrie because he's been incredible this year. So he was he was a thought process for me. I did not end up having him. Trey. Kyrie is a good one that we probably should mention. Did you mention He is legitimately in this mix. I did mention Trey. Okay, yeah, I, I can't hear my bad. Uh, and then the only other two guys, Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart. Um, Marcus Smart was ended up being decently far off, but like I just have to say, like Jesus Christ, this season's been awesome, man. Like this has been. I'm trying to think who just wrote about this. Um, somebody just wrote about uh, wrote a really good article about um, Marcus Smart really stepping into his role as a playmaker this year, and um, I just have to tip the hat to him. Yeah. Look, I, I did not have Marcus anywhere near this. Um, I'll, I'll just be that's very okay. with you. I mean, I'm, this is me um, going like, well, he'd be like my 14th guard for all NBA. So. Yeah, Drew Drew was higher and was a guy that I took a brief look at before defaulting to other players. Mm-hmm. Okay, for the forwards, this is a miserable conversation. I had Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kevin Durant, this is not in order. This is just candidates at this point still. Um, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James, Jeremy Grant, uh, Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, and LeBron. Did I get everyone? Uh, The only other people that I – did you have Jalen Brown? I did not have Jalen Brown. I should have Jalen Brown. Okay. Cause I, I did had... consider Jalen Brown. I just didn't list them in my little thing here. No, you're good. I had Jalen Brown there. Uh, and then a couple others, but again, this is more like you're going farther down. Jaron Jackson, Jr. Um, yep. uh, Julius Randle, who I would not have, but again, like I, it's going to be tough to not have Julius Randle as an all-star this year. He's been very damn good offensively. Again, um, it's going to depend on where the Knicks fall again, uh, as they kind of try and even out, but just have to shout him out. And Lowry Markkinen, like, 
Lowry's been awesome. Yep. Did you, I watched this 49-point game this morning, and, man, I know we just talked about him recently, but, like, I still am just, like, amazed watching him play this year. Um, he's been awesome. Like, yeah. So, I, I he, would, he wouldn't make it, but he's on the he's on the short list. Yeah. With Randall, Randall would probably be All-NBA, like, second quarter of the season. Um, I yeah. think he's definitely been one of the 15 best players in the league from – like the game 20 mark onward uh, over his last 19 games. He's averaging 28 points, 11 rebounds, 4.4 assists while shooting 46% from the field, 35% from three on nine, three point attempts per game. Can, can you imagine when Julius Randall came out of Kentucky thinking there would be a 20 game stretch where he would shoot nine, three pointers. I never thought that in my life, but I will say like, <laughs> I, I thought he was going to be the truth, man. Like I thought I was like, yeah. this is the guy who who's going to bring the Lakers back. And that's what I thought in, uh, you know, in my sophomore year of, of high school ended up not being right, but he has a, it, it has been a joy to watch him. He's year, made an all NBA team. So like, that's a really yeah, great, I mean, pick, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's a perfect encapsulation of my thoughts. Um, eight free throw attempts per game, 74% from the line. Yeah. Julius Randle has been amazing for the second quarter of the season. Ultimately, I couldn't get him onto this group because I thought he was actually pretty not great for the first quarter of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, defensively, particularly watching him in the first quarter was not ideal. Uh, and that was enough for him to end up kind of near the back end of this group. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the center position, our candidates, Nikola Jokic, uh, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Demonis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo. That, that was, those were really the five I considered for those three spots. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Because you you take a big jump when you're going back down. Like, I think Brooke had a a decent shot at this. He's probably the next closest. Um, but, again, that's like, okay, I think you're going, like, that's like 15 players worse. Um, if you're just doing like rankings in your head, or however you want to go about it, and that's not 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 a slight of Brook, more just the top crop has been that freaking good this year. Is Brook Lopez or Miles Turner had a better year? Brook Lopez for me, I think Miles has been awesome, but I think Brook's been a little bit better defensively. Well, I don't know if I'd say he's been better offensively, but I, I mean, definitely don't think he's been better offensively. I will say that. I think that like Miles now being able to like put the ball on the deck a little bit is a pretty big differentiator for mm -hmm. those two. I'd probably be a little bit closer with that, but I yeah, I mean Miles definitely has been has been fantastic this year. Yeah, but like you know when we're getting like I just don't think that Miles Turner and Bam, for instance, or Miles Turner and Sabonis, for instance, is really all that tight, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so now we've laid out all of the candidates let's jump in and do first team all nba so for first team all nba i thought that the first guard at least was very simple it is luka Doncic, mm -hmm. right uh luka Doncic has been absolutely unbelievable this season he's currently averaging uh 34 points, 8.8 .8 rebounds, 8.7 assists, shooting 50, 35, 74, uh, getting to the line 11 times per game, 61.4 true shooting percentage. That is four points above league average. He's carrying the Dallas Mavericks on his back right now. He's a top five, top six MVP candidate. I did not have any compunction, any issue 
picking Luka Doncic. I honestly thought he was probably the easiest choice out of any of these guys. Yeah, he was an easy, easy first slot in. Um, I I can't really add anything to that other than just he's been unreal. Um, Steph Curry was my second, my second guy on first team. Steph is also my second first team All NBA guy. Yeah, I thought even with him missing time, um, I thought for the other than like with Luca's recent stretch, um, and I mean you can say this about multiple guys like Jokic's stretch has been unreal. Um, even with the Bucks losing, Giannis has been on a tear recently. Um, but I think Steph, at least for the first 20, 25 games, was the best player in the NBA. So I pretty easy for me to have him first team right now. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I know Steph has missed quite a bit of time at this point. If you compare the minute totals that Steph has played this season to someone like, for instance, John Morant, Steph has played about 900 minutes this season. John Morant has only played about 1070 so far. So that's like a difference of five games. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to say that, that difference is not big enough for me to not have Stephen Curry as first team all NBA, given how incredibly impressive he was in those first stretch of games. He's shooting 50% from the field, 43% from three, 92% from the line. His true shooting percentage currently is 66.8. That's basically right in line with his best seasons. Uh, His best season ever is 67.5 in 2018 uh, when he played those 51 games. In 2016, it was 66.9. Now, of course, it's worth remembering the true shooting percentage has risen. So back then, his true shooting percentage, you know, his advanced true shooting percentage or whatever you want to call it was 124, whereas this season it's 116, right? Uh, So he's basically 16% better than league average uh, as opposed to 24% back then. He is damn near close to as good as he was back in his MVP season is the point or MVP seasons is the point here. I absolutely had to have him first team. I get that like he's played a little bit less, but I'm guessing that by the end of the year, it's not really going to be that hard of a conversation as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. And I do want to just rip off early too. I tried not to care too much about minutes, honestly. Like I think as long as a guy, I had just about 60% of their games was kind of my cutoff point. Um, And then I just tried to like not let it factor in from there just because I, and I'm fine with people doing it the other way, but just for me, I don't like having to add that extra layer. I'm just going to go off that. So just putting that out there. Okay. First team, all NBA forwards is by far the hardest decision. I think Uh, there are three people for two spots. There are three people genuinely in the top six of the NBA MVP picture. Um, there are three guys that I think you could legitimately have as the top three MVP candidates if you really wanted to mm-hmm. in Kevin Durant, Yasin Tedekumpo, and Jason Tatum. I've talked at length about these three on a podcast earlier this week with Jason Timpf. Uh, I had Kevin Durant at number one in my MVP picture. I had Giannis and Tedekumpo at number four and I had Jason Tatum at number six. Uh, in my MVP votes right now. Uh, if you want reasoning on that, you can go listen to that podcast. It's really good. Uh, I would absolutely point you there, but I will give the floor to Mark now to be able to give his explanation on how he sorted through the two first team all NBA forward spots. Yeah, I ended up going Tatum and Durant. Um, I think Giannis has been unreal this year, but I think that's been more so like, 
Uh, Tatum has just been at another level this year. I think like you can just look Celtics have been by and large, the best team for the start of the season. Um, his offense has just taken that extra leap. And I think to be fair too, like his defense was really good to start the year. He took a little bit of a step back alongside the Celtics at large. I think it's been a, a better of late. Um, I, I do think it's just a little, and this is again, we're, we're nitpicking when talking about the top five players in the league. Giannis's efficiency just hasn't quite been the same as it was last year. Um, he hasn't shooting quite at the same levels uh, as a jump shooter that I think he found uh, for large stretches of last year, which is to me what made him a near MVP candidate or not a near, like he was a very clear MVP guy. Um, but I mean, like he found that as, as we've talked about before, like he found that extra gear just really destroying people out of posts, reposting, attacking out of face-ups after, after, you know, getting a, a post-up opportunity and then driving back out. And um, it just hasn't hit quite the same this year. And I, a part of that is the Bucks at large, but I, that's just me saying, I think, Tatum just has a slight edge right now. It could change as the year goes on, but that's where it would lead. Ultimately, I wish I could have Giannis on first team because he is deserving of being there. If this was positionless, he'd be on there. Yes, like no question. Um, I will say I do think Giannis is a better player than Jason Tatum, which is kind of what I defaulted to. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that like the Celtics started so, so hot based off of their insane shooting and that happened when we're talking about like an all mvp or all nba voting situation i think you have to just go off of what happened and jason tatum being an all-world pull-up shooter from three for the first like 25 games of the season Mm -hmm. happened and whether my concerns about how sustainable his pull-up shooting is are founded or not it happened right I do think that Giannis Antetokounmpo's ability to dominate a basketball game by getting to the rim whenever he wants, uh, by playing the defensive end of the court at an exceptionally high level, uh, especially now that Brooke Lopez is back, it's just really hard to score on them uh, at all, really. Like, there's just not another way to put it. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the defense with Tatum. They've been okay defensively. Like, I think they're somewhere between 10 and 15 defensively right now in the league. And I think that Tatum has taken a bit of a step back over the course of the second quarter of the season, whereas Giannis continues to just like dominate and bully games at such a high level. I I chose Kevin Durant as my MVP pick already this year. I don't really need to rehash that. If you want to listen to that, go listen to Jason Timph and I explain why I would have Kevin Durant as my midseason MVP. Uh, He is shooting just so exceptionally high. Uh, It's such a ridiculously high level and has been, the core centerpiece of the Nets defense, which has actually been a really, really critical part of their resurgence. They are top 10 in defense and offense right now. And that is basically on the back of Jason Tatum or uh, on the back of Kevin Durant. Uh, whereas I think Tatum just has a lot more help at this mm-hmm. point on the defensive end. Um, yeah. I, I went Kevin Durant and Giannis, but if you want to make a case for Jason Tatum as Mark did, I'll absolutely hear it out. And I think it's completely reasonable to have Jason Tatum as first team all NBA at the midseason point. Okay. First team all center is a battle between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Now, the argument for Embiid is he's second in the NBA in scoring while anchoring a top five defense. The argument for Nikola Jokic is that he is essentially like carrying the Denver Nuggets the second best record in the league and 
I believe that they might actually be tied now with Philadelphia 76ers for best rec. No, 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 no. The Sixers are a game and a half behind now still. Um, but they are basically, the Nuggets are unbelievable. Like watching Nikola Jokic, like how do you even describe Nikola Jokic? He's like the best offensive player in the NBA. I, I think it's just what it comes down to. He is currently at a 67 true shooting percentage or no, a 69 true shooting percentage. I'm sorry. That's 12 points above league average while averaging, uh, I believe 25 points per game. And if you look at the per 100 numbers, they're basically like on level with Dirk's best seasons uh, while being more efficient than Dirk's best seasons while also being the best passer in the NBA. Uh, He is in a centrifugal offensive force unto himself in such a substantial way that I had to put him first team. Uh, I think Joel Embiid is genuinely like a top six MVP candidate right now. I had him at five. I just don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's first team all NBA. I think Jokic's ability to drive offense is such an unbelievably substantial advantage for the Denver Nuggets that I couldn't, couldn't drop him uh, to second team. Yeah, no, I have, I have nothing to add to that. Like other than, I think watching him, like you've seen Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Basically like Hermione with the time Turner and prisoner of Azkaban. That's how it feels watching him play basketball. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, he just is, he's playing on a different time speed plane than anybody else right now. So yeah, I couldn't have him off here. So I'm right there with you. And Joel has been awesome. He's my second team all NBA center. I mean, I think we can lead with that. Um, But yeah, yeah. I mean, Jokic just, especially this, like this has been like the quietest like two or three weeks of just absolutely dominant play, um, and they've looked so much better. They just blew out the Clippers last night on national TV. Um, like they have just I, I can't remember. I, I know they've lost to the Clippers at some point in the last year, but they've been dominant against them every time they've they've come out. It just feels like they kind of have a. I really have it nailed in on how they want to beat the shit out of them. So that was a fun game to watch last night. So let, let's go to second team all NBA. Do you remember how early in the season we were a little bit worried about Joel Embiid? Just like a little bit. Uh, he wasn't moving super well. There was a report yeah. about a foot injury that Doc Rivers just kind of slyly mentioned in a press conference. Uh, it, it seemed like his pick and roll defense was a little bit of a problem early on. Mm-hmm. From Game 13 onward for the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid is averaging 36 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 steals, 1.9 blocks, while shooting 54-38-86. That's pretty good. Joel Embiid is averaging 36 points per game over his last 20 games. He has been... This is the best I've seen him play. This is absolutely the best I've seen Joel Embiid play at this point. And I can't, I can't believe I don't have him first team all NBA, but I just kind of can't quite get there. Like what Joel Embiid is doing genuinely is one of the best performances. It feels like in the last like five years of the NBA, it's just that we're also in the midst of, Nikola Jokic, like putting up one of the best performances in the last decade of the NBA uh, offensively. So I I just, any Philadelphia fan that's mad, I I get it. Like, I I absolutely understand it. Joel Embiid is 
breaking worlds. He's like running their offense almost as much as James Harden is at this point. It feels like he's like initiating sets regularly. It's un- unbelievable what he's been able to do. And I just think Jokic is better. And I- I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. I mean, at this stage, it's, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, I think exactly like you hit on. I, I, I mean, the defense uh, can be absolutely dominant for stretches at times. Um, and then it's mainly just been like the offense and, and his scoring and his ability to just take over. Um, other than – I mean, it, I think what's so difficult sometimes is when you have something that you can compare to that almost feels like slightly – impressive is the wrong way, but slightly like more um, – like I think of it like this: If Giannis wasn't in the NBA, or just didn't exist as a player, Joel is the guy that I think people talk about in the way that he drives the lane. Um, yeah, just being seven foot two with the coordination and fluidity that he has. Like I just think about Boston. Like it's yeah. always the it'll be like it's the slot pick and rolls when he turns his hips into a roll um, and catches the ball from like twenty feet out, and you're just like, okay, well that's a bucket or an answer. Yeah, and like it's. He's been unreal to watch this season. Well, I do it's think like too, the, uh, I'm yeah. like, I mean, my biggest separator is just it's the passing. Like, I think yeah. turnovers still can be a problem. It's not been as bad as it was earlier in the year. And again, that's we're talking about, you know, differentiating between top five, six NBA players. But um, I think that's like the only real uh, thing that kind of holds him back to me. Yeah. And like, and it's more so that Yoke just been that good than him being. Yeah. I was going to say, like, Joel has gotten better at it i think for sure and like you mentioned that like slot pick and roll where he catches and it's just like okay i can pump fake and get this guy in the air and then drive and finish or i can just shoot this jumper or i can back him down and score that way or i can just like try and roll all the way to the rim and score that way like it's literally the versatility of joel Embiid's skill set is unbelievable and i feel like we don't talk about how good he is enough because of all of the incredible performances that we've seen over the course of the last like three weeks in the NBA. But like in any other year, Joel Embiid would be like a runaway MVP. I feel like at this point, mm-hmm. no, without a doubt, it wouldn't, even feels be, like it. wouldn't even be close. I feel like mm-hmm. it's just that this year we have this like incredible star laden turn from everyone. Okay. So we started second team all NBA with Joel Embiid. We started second-team All-NBA with Jason Tatum as well. In my case, Giannis Antetokounmpo in Mark's case. Who is your second second second-team All-NBA forward? Zion Williamson. Um, Also mine. I think that this is a relatively easy pick. Yeah, I agree. I think when I was trying to differentiate between who I was going to have on second and third team after Giannis, Zion was an easy pick for me. The defense has really improved this year. Um and the offense is just, I mean, especially in this, that, that stretch prior to injury where, um, and first of all, like just rest up, hope he gets well soon and is able to get back quickly. Um, but the offense like unto himself has been like when they really have turned him loose as being kind of the real initiator of offense for them, bringing the ball up more. Um, it's been pretty unstoppable uh, minus that one Grizzlies game. Uh, he's been really damn good other than when teams can really crowd him with length and be, you know, aggressive on the interior. Even then, that's like, okay, you're talking about a team having to sell out to having three or four guys in the paint at all time just to try and negate what he does. Well, 
And a team having Jaron Jackson Jr., who is the best defender in the NBA right now, if not like the second or third best defender in the NBA, as well as having like the strongest player in the NBA with Steven Adams behind him sometimes. It's a good mix. So like, it's a a good mix to stop that. Yeah, no, exactly. But I mean, the just everything he's doing, he's been unreal. The scoring, I feel like every game there are three or four clips that I pull where I'm just like, how does anybody do this? I've never seen anybody do anything like that before that moves like that, that has that, that kind of frame. Um, and it's not just like a wow factor. This is more of the wow factor mixed with how efficient and uh, otherworldly has been as a driver. Um, and it's like, I mean, there were some spurts earlier on in the season where not that his passing felt bad, but it, it, it felt like, okay, this is like a point forwardy guy, but not like that full engine type that we'd seen in years prior. And then again, like when they really turned the ball into his hands, it, okay, you you saw that really hitting again, and I'm excited for them to get back to it and what that looks like with him and Brandon Ingram. Totally agree. Uh, okay, the guards is where this gets very difficult. <sighs> yes, it does. Uh, okay, my first pick for second team All-NBA guard was Donovan Mitchell. Yep. Do I'm you right have there. Donovan Mitchell second team all NBA? I do have Donovan Mitchell second team all NBA. Okay. Donovan Mitchell, you know, even beyond the 71 point game where he was just utterly phenomenal and carried the Cavs to a win and had an incredible missed free throw rebound that like forced overtime and everything. Uh, 29 points, four rebounds, 4.9 assists, shooting 49% from the field, 41% from three, 87% from the line. Uh, His free throw rate is as good as it's ever been. Uh, His drives have been really high level, but more than anything, it's the pull-up shooting this year, right? Like his pull-up shooting has just been astronomically good. People have complained throughout Donovan Mitchell's career about his efficiency and about how he's like a league average accumulator in terms of efficiency. Uh, He currently has a 62.6 true shooting percentage that is five and a half points above league average while averaging 29 points per game. Uh, Everything that Donovan Mitchell does as a self-creator this season has worked. Uh, The mix between he and Darius Garland has been really, really high level. And the pick and rolls with he and Jared Allen have been really, really high level so far this season. Uh, The Cavs are really good. Donovan Mitchell is the biggest reason why the Cavs are really good. I think Donovan Mitchell is like very clearly deserving of second team All-NBA. Yeah, I would go as far as saying like he's a fringe MVP candidate for me. Um, and I, mean, I have him in the of, top 10. Yeah, that's yeah. part of being it. I mean, that's part of being an NBA guy. But um, yeah, like you mentioned, the pull up shooting's just been unreal this year. And he's gotten back to playing real defense. It's not like game breaking stuff, but he's competing. He's trying. Um, and it's been, for me, at least a net neutral. Um, but the offense overall, like he's fitting so well there. Um, and like, like just the, the overall shooting. Like I when I pulled the, the pull up shooting numbers, like two, I think it was two weeks ago when I looked at it for the first time, because I knew it was good. And then I pull, I'm like, Oh, okay. That's like good. Good. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was a borderline all NBA guy last year. And this year, I think he's truly been there with what his efficiency has been and um, how he gets to the rim too. What a part of what I've loved. I mean, having him with Jared Allen, in some ways, I think Jared's been a better roller and, and screener for him than, than Rudy was not saying that he's a better player than Rudy um, has been this year, but uh, in looking at, you know, what that dynamic was, I think you just see a little bit more in terms of getting getting more out of – not that Rudy wasn't a lob threat, but Jarrett's just a different kind of lob threat. Um, brings a little bit extra oomph that 
you, like just by being a little bit more mobile, being a little bit more spry, having more in terms of that one dribble pump and go, um, it just opens up a little bit more for Donovan by having that extra versatility as a player. Um, so that's been really fun to watch. Uh, I was such a big fan of this happening when they made the trade and I couldn't be any more of a fan of it than I am now. Yeah. I think that they absolutely nailed this across the board and there's just no other way to look at it. Let's go to second, second team, all NBA guard. Now I will let you go first. Shea just Alexander. Okay. I have him third team. So we're in a similar boat here. Uh, give me why you have Shea second team and I'll explain why I think he's also been great as well. Yeah, I have Shea second team just due to the uh, absurd scoring. Like I would go other than Luca, I this this might sound like a hot take, but in terms of when you're talking about the pressure that he puts on a defense, I think that he's been the second best scoring guard in the NBA this year. Um, and that's over Steph. Like I think Steph's been unreal, but with what Shea does driving the basketball. Um, with his finishing on the interior, with what he does from the mid-range as well. Um, you know, obviously he's cut down his three-point attempts, and that's been to his, I mean, for his betterment. Uh, I think that's an area that right now it looks fine, but I do think as they get to higher levels, that's going to matter more. But um, that he's just kind of an unstoppable force unto himself. And I can't get that game against Boston out of my head from earlier in this year Yeah, um, when Boston was – doing i mean they threw every single coverage in in the books at him trying to just negate his his scoring ability or try to take it away and it didn't work um so i i would have shea second team especially too because his defense has actually been like it's it's happened at points this year like it hasn't been like last year was was pretty embarrassing but this year um yeah this this has been this has been a really unreal season from him. Like I went from last year thinking, okay, you know, this 40 game stretch is, is really cool. It's exciting. It's real. Um, but what does this look like in another year? And he's been even better. Um, so yeah, I'm there with Shea, especially, I mean, let's without even adding all what he does as a passer. I think uh, it's tough. Cause I think a lot of times people look at what he does as a passer um, just based on box score. And it's like, oh, this isn't that impressive, but I'm like, okay, just, if he's playing with better than, you know, one of the bottom five shooting teams in the NBA, you're going to look at that a lot differently. Um, he's been, he's been sensational this year. I'm just glad he's been healthy. Yeah. O- Oklahoma city so far this season is 20th in three point rate and 17th in three point percentage. Uh, Josh Giddy is just like a guy that teams don't guard. He's shooting 34 on three attempts per game, but like guys just don't really care if he shoots, if I'm being completely honest. Jalen Williams is 28% from three right now. Kenrich Williams doesn't take a lot of them, but he's 40% from three. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Robinson Earl doesn't take a lot of them. 38% from three though. Trey, he doesn't play a lot of minutes with Trey Mann, but Trey Mann's only at 31% from three. Uh, it, it's, it's a situation where the court is always so condensed when Shea is on the court. And I think that that's almost why his game is so aesthetically pleasing. Like, the degree of difficulty on his drives where he has to like slither and like slide with his footwork through four different bodies to get to the rim. It's unbelievable. Uh, I don't, there may not be a more aesthetically pleasing player in the NBA. Maybe that's what we'll do next week. Uh, Like all aesthetically pleasing NBA players right now in the league. 
uh, just guys that you enjoy watching because of how fun they are or because of just like how their games look in some different way. Shea is that for me. Yeah, I adore watching Shea Gilgis-Alexander play basketball because of his footwork and because of the way that he drives and the way he thinks through his drives as well. Like his rapid reactivity to how to get to the rim, I think is really, really impressive. Yeah, uh, I had Shea third team. I had John Morant second team. Uh, John Morant this season has been really, really good. He's averaging 27 points, six rebounds, eight assists while shooting 46% from the field. 31% from three. And if you look at the efficiency numbers, he is actually a little bit below league average in terms of efficiency. Now, I think that Jaws passing and scoring abilities are a big driver for that offense. And really at the end of the day, like at times almost the sole driver for that offense, especially with Desmond Bain out of games. And this is an offense that is still somehow top half of the league. This is a team that is 25 and 13 currently uh, tied for the second best record in the NBA. I I, re- I know that like Ja has not made three pointers this year. I know that Memphis's defense has arguably been more important than their offense. I, honestly, like maybe inarguably been more important than their offense. But I think that Ja's ability to make difficult things fly for that offense because without Desmond Bain for basically the entire second quarter of the season, it felt like that was a situation where it was just very, very difficult for them to have any space because teams don't care if Dylan Brooks shoots. Steven Adams does not shoot threes. John Conchar is a reluctant three point shooter. Santi Aldama teams don't care if he shoots threes, you know, Brandon Clark does not shoot threes. It's another situation where contextually the lane is always so clogged for John Morant and he's still deriving offense at the rim at an exceptionally elite level while also being one of the best playmakers and passers in the NBA. I get that the efficiency numbers are not great in large part because he still needs to continue to make that next step as a pull-up shooter. But given that he is the main reason why Memphis has the second best record in the NBA right now, I had to get him second team all NBA. Yeah, um, I do not have John Moran on All-NBA. He's my first guard off, and I understand that is going to probably frustrate some people. I feel bad about it already. That's how I leaned. Um, I'll, I can explain that one more. We're not, we're, are we done with, with second team All-NBA now? So you had Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I had John Morant. I have Shea third team. Mm-hmm. Uh Let's talk about why you don't have Ja first, I think. I know that the defense has gotten better this year. I don't think that it's been demonstratively better in a way that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable on that end. Um, I just really struggle with the efficiency. And that's not, again, Ja is incredible. I think that he is dessert. Like, I will have no qualms about him making the NBA third team. It's less about him not being good enough and more about I just thought that there was somebody who has been – that much harder for me to keep off. Um, I, I think like the passing is unreal and some of the stuff he does his interior score have been really good, but he hasn't really made that leap as a finisher that I was hoping that we would see uh, on floaters and just more in the mid range, uh, which I think is going to be really critical for his game moving forward. And again, like this team has been fantastic. Um, he drives a ton of it. Um, I just can't quite get there with him being, being there in terms of 
who else I would have to take off um, and some of the other seasons that have been going on. Um, when, again, it's more just when you're considering how efficient some other guys have been while doing some of the while carrying similar loads and doing a little bit more on the defensive end. I do struggle a little bit more just to, to put him over them. I get it. I, I will be interested to hear who your third team guards are. I will yeah. say that. Uh, okay. So let's move to the third team. Now we've both given our top two teams in full. Now uh, I have Devin Booker as a third team guard. Yep. Okay. So let's talk briefly about Devin Booker here. Devin Booker has been uh Really, I think it's very clear the driving force behind Phoenix's play early throughout the first 30 games of the season before they've taken this nosedive without him, where they're now 20 and 19 and eighth in the Western Conference. Uh, He is the one that's driving play just straight up. There's not another way to put it. I think he's really improved as a passer this season. His shooting efficiency is always one of those things that has bugged me to an extent because he's a great shooter that the numbers haven't always lined up necessarily, Mm -hmm. but this season, the numbers are lining up. He's shooting 48% from the field, 37% from three on a lot of pull-up threes, uh, 85% from the line. Uh, Like I said, you look at the passing and playmaking, he's been really, really critical there. I think he's taken on an even bigger load from Chris Paul than what, he has previously because Chris Paul has been a bit worse this year, uh, demonstrably worse. I think is probably a better way to put it. Devin Booker has just been an all around offensive force so far this season. Like if you wanted to have Devin Booker in the top 10 of MVP right now, based off of how disastrous Phoenix looks without him, I think that's a completely reasonable and strong take. Yeah. I had a Booker would have beat out, Shea for me it was close I think I ended up leaning with Shea just because of what the scoring's been from him but um yeah Booker's been unreal this year I think his best year of his career pretty easily I still like there's more and more that I want to see with the playmaking coming along to different levels because I think that's like just one of the few things that again it's nitpicks when you're talking about top 15 guys in the league um but like you mentioned the shooting has been unreal this year when you look at what has happened for, for Phoenix this year, this is, and part of it is just Chris, Chris's fall off early in the year. Um, this is the first year where there haven't been the, is Devin really the best player on, on Phoenix? No, it's um, abundantly clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been extremely clear that he's the best player on that team. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I have no qualms about him being on, on 13 is where I'd have him. He would be my number five uh, guard. Yeah. Is he number five for you? He's number five for me. Okay. My he is number six. My number six is Damian Lillard. Um, okay. Yeah, Dame, he is my number seven. So Dame I get has it. been so freaking good this year, man. Like, yep. I – and this is just more for me to go on a rant. Like, I legitimately thought the Trailblazers would be a pretty blah team this year because I I thought that Dame was going to be the guy who fell off this year. Um, and like we talked about last week um, with how many superstars are having great seasons, like – this is one of Dame's best years. This has been unreal. The shooting has been crazy. I think he's taking 11 threes per game and shooting incredibly well. Um, they've done so much with Nikias Duncan over at Basketball News just wrote a really great article about how the Blazers have been using him off ball this year, which I have loved. I almost think sometimes they could lean more into what he does on the ball. Um, but that's also noting like the Blazers defense is not amazing this year. They're back around average after starting pretty hot than having a really torrid 
uh, tor- terribly torrid month. Um, uh, I, I, will, I will just note they're down to 21 now. In yeah, well, it's well. still like like I think over like the last couple of weeks, it's like back up around average because they really tanked. Um, yeah. His individual defense and just defensive communication in general has been like the best I've seen from him in his career. Like he's been a legitimate yep. positive for me defensively um, on top of just being I one of the best guard scorers in the NBA while driving high-level offense. Um, I I think he's been better than John Morant this year. That's why I have him on All-NBA. I know that you can look at games played and have issues with that. Dame's played, I think, 26 games this year after last night, or 25 games. Um, I don't think it's enough of a difference for me to to, to care all that much. Um, I'm fine with quibbling about it, but just with what Dame's done this year, I'm there with him. He's been that good for me. Yeah, it, it's hard because the, the Grizzlies are just like way better than they are, right? Like, and it's not like they're way better because I think they have like drastically more talent than Portland, given that Desmond. I wouldn't Bain say drastically, Jeff, but Jeremy, I do think they have quite like a decent amount more talent than Portland. But when accounting for the injuries, I don't know that that's accurate. Because Desmond Bain has missed half the season. Jaron Jackson missed a substantial amount of time to start the season. Uh, like you look, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, Josh Hart, Yusuf Nurkic, Shaden Sharp, Drew Eubanks. Like their entire rotation almost has played just about every single one of their games outside of Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. So I think that like when you account for injury within like the talent picture, I don't think that there's that much of a difference in the guys that have actually been on the court so far this season if when they're both fully healthy memphis is much better i agree with you but memphis has had enough games missed at this point to where i think it's pretty close and jaw's just the guy that's like carrying them to me which is why i ended up having him second team like he's carrying them to the second best record in the nba whereas the blazers are 20 and 19 and are good like they're a really good team i don't mean that disparagingly and damian lillard is unbelievable but that was kind of the tiebreaker for me with all of these guards at the end of the day i think devin booker's just been a little bit better than damian lillard i think shea gilgis alexander's individual excellence has been absolutely phenomenal this season um and I ended up with Dame as the seventh guy and uh, what I consider at this point to be realistically a seven person picture. I'll do respect to Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox is the next two for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I probably am just a little bit higher on what the Grizzlies actual talent or maybe just lower on what Portland's actual talent is. I think Nurk is quite a bit of a, I like, I legitimately think Steven has been, better this year than use of Nurkic like that's that's a fun discussion to have at some point so I, I want to talk about that one if we do we, we should talk about the Blazers at some point yeah. I, I would still have Nurkic ahead but I, I get what you're I, saying and yeah I, he's rough for me um yeah. but yeah I like I, I mean I don't I don't disagree with in your thinking process there um but I'm just I think Dame's just been that damn good yeah and well here's the other thing too so we're gonna get to forwards now I had Jeremy Grant in the all-nba uh, to Picture for guy sure. in our mentions, we we talked about Kyrie earlier in the podcast. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Evan Glansman says Kyrie's not getting any respect. Yeah, we mentioned Kyrie at the top. Uh, I, I would have Kyrie probably ten right now, but like the fact that he got suspended early in the season for anti-Semitic uh, link posting, maybe is the way to put it. That actually did have an on-court impact, regardless of. Whatever you want to think of the off court, I would hope that we all agree on the off court problems with that. But it had an on court impact at the end of the day. 
and is a substantial reason why the Nets really, really struggled. Over the second quarter of the season, Kyrie Irving has unequivocally been a all-NBA caliber mm-hmm. player. And I would venture that if he stays healthy and continues to do the right things off the court, that he will be very firmly in the all-NBA mix at the end of the season. But I don't think we can remove the first quarter of the season from Kyrie's discussion at this point. Okay, forwards. I have, this is where it gets difficult. So we've got Jimmy Butler, Paul George, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron, Pascal Siakam, Jeremy Grant, Jalen Brown. Jaron Jackson is another guy you considered. I He is one that I think has missed just a little bit too much time for me. But the first one that I had was Paul George. Yep. Yep. I have Paul on, uh, on third team All-NBA. He's been, not to take your, your floor, I think he's been the best playmaking season of his career. Like, he sees the floor so well. Um, it's not like, again, he's not playing like LeBron-level playmaking, but it's been really damn good. And I, I think that there's been just like a little bit too much consternation about, you know, he doesn't get to the rim. It's easy to scheme for his game. Like, okay, well, he's still shooting incredibly well from like everywhere. Um, he's just very in control of his game. And yeah, the defense has been re- like, I would have him on my, my all defense mentions list right now. That's um, the big thing for me. That's the differentiator between him and LeBron. For yeah. instance, uh, this has not been a great LeBron season. Uh, this has been a great Paul George defensive season to yep. this point. Um, no disrespect to LeBron, who's absolutely incredible, but he has taken some possessions off here and there defensively uh, kind of like more that. often than normal, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Who is, so you had Paul George as well. I think we both had the same one because we talked about this pre-podcast because I, did something funky with positions mm-hmm. um, initially. Uh, Pascal Siakam yes. is who I think we both have as the sixth forward in all NBA right now. I have him there ahead of LeBron again, largely because of defense, but it is worth noting how good Pascal has been offensively this year, Mark. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the, he's been, He's flirted with being a top 10 player for stretches of the year with what his impact has been and the, the usage that he's had to carry. And I think to some point, like it's almost a detriment how much he does have to carry because of what that Raptors offense has been. It's not an indictment of him. Like the playmaking has hit an absolute other level. Um, the driving is unreal. Uh, the way that he's just able to attack the court has been extremely pleasant to watch in all facets this year. And the defense is still really damn good for him. Like obviously the, the Raptors have not been the same defensively this year. A lot of that has been due to some of their rotation pieces um, and some of the guys that they've had to play in the backcourt. But yeah, he's been, I mean, his best season of his career, he's been an all NBA player before. And I think that he's very deserving of this position. Yeah. I mean, just the consistent pressure he puts on the rim is unbelievable uh, for Toronto, both in transition and in the half court. Uh, This is a Toronto team that has its struggles offensively, but I don't really think you can blame him for those that much. Like he's the centerpiece and driving force of what they're doing offensively. Uh, And then defensively, he's been really good. Like Toronto's problem is not on the defensive end. They play this hyper aggressive defensive, like blitzing scheme where they're trying to force turnovers and get easy offense out on the break. And, you know, he, he does a really, really good job within that scheme. Uh, Oftentimes 
more than like OG and more than Fred, uh, more than, you know, even like Scotty Barnes a lot of the time, it feels like he's the one that's kind of staying solid and steady. It feels like, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like trying to, you know, force the issue on that stuff. Yeah. So, okay. We both had the same forwards. That makes it easier. Let's talk about the forwards we could have listed. I, I had Jimmy Butler seven, LeBron eight. Yeah, I uh, I had Jalen Brown seven, LeBron eight. Um, I think Jalen Brown. Jaylen and, nine. It, it was tough to have Jalen off, um, but I think it just when I look at it, it, I think it was harder for me to have Paul or Siakam off, so I ended up having Jalen first one off. Yeah, look, and Jalen's having a great season. Uh, 62 shooting percentage on 27.7 rebounds, 3.3 assists. I think that the big differentiator for him versus Paul George, for instance, is I think Paul's a better, more disruptive defender, and Paul's a much better passer and playmaker than Jalen Brown is. That's kind of the big one for me. Um, in terms of, like, LeBron, I mean, it's fucking LeBron. Do we need to, like, talk a lot about LeBron? Yeah. I mean, He's incredible. His play since Anthony Davis has been out has been mind bending. Uh, I will say I did default to the fact that like I could not get multiple Lakers on the all NBA team. That definitely played a part. Yeah. At center, I have Anthony Davis. Uh, So me as well. Initially when we did this uh, process, I had Anthony Davis at forward before recognizing that like a hundred percent of his minutes, according to basketball reference have been at the center position. And when you watch the Lakers, he plays a lot of center. It doesn't feel like that sometimes for some reason to me, but he does play mostly at the center position. So uh, it was kind of an easy pick over Bam Adebayo and Demonis Sabonis, if only because when Anthony Davis was healthy, uh, he was a top six, top seven player in the NBA. Uh, so far this season his he was like breaking worlds on defense and uh really creating offense at the rim at a really substantial level on offense yes i agree um ad was in the mvp conversation before he got hurt and hopefully he's getting back soon um i like the the way that he was attacking the paint uh and actually just being close to the basket in a way that we'd never really, we hadn't even, because even in the bubble, that wasn't what he was doing. It was a, a lot of it was um, how incredible he was as a shooter from, from, from mid range. And that's that uh, the bubble season um, this, like the way that he was just, I mean, he was dominating as an offensive player while also being like close to defensive player of the year. But yeah, I think even like, if, think of it like this, if AD had played, and I feel like this is a conversation we've had multiple times. If AD had played like 30 games, I think we're talking more about him as like being on the second team probably because um, he's been that good. Um, having a flirt with that and seeing what that looks like stacking up against, you know, the other top centers in the league. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's just tough. Like Bam has been unreal. He's been Miami's best player this year, kind of hands down for me um, with what he's yeah. done defensively, taking more steps offensively. AD's just been that much better when he's healthy. Um, and I feel it's unfair to say when he's healthy, like he's played it quite a bit this year, just, you know, the recent stretch. Um, and then Sabonis, like it's tough. Cause even then like, Sabonis that's one is, where I, yeah, legit feel horrible about Sabonis' stretch since he came back from the hand injury. Like, I think that I had legitimate worries. Like, Oh, is this going to, is he going to be 
hobbled and I think he's averaging like 18, 15, and 7 since he came back from the hand injury, which is like bonkers. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to say that he's taken another step as a player. I think he's found just like this system so perfectly fits who he is as a player. Um, elevating what he does will also like he, he definitely refines some of his, the, the aspects of his touch um, overall, and that's been a big boon for him. But I mean, just watching him play has been awesome. Like I, I love seeing. Uh, it's less about for me just watching like a team that is really good, and more about a team that is so well playing into their strengths, even if they're not necessarily yes. the best team. Like watching this Kings team is such a joy to me because everything just feels right. Like everything is engaged and locked together, and even if the defense isn't perfect, like you. There's a there's competitiveness, like they do everything that they can with what they're given, and the offense is just so fun to watch. And that's more to say, like it hurts not having De'Aaron Fox or Demonis Sabonis on this on this team, and maybe that changes as the year goes on. But I would struggle to right now. I agree with you that I just can't get them there, despite the fact that over his last 16 games, Demonis Sabonis is averaging 21, 14, and seven. That's crazy, well, man. While shooting 66% from the field. Demonis Sabonis has been unreal this year. And I just can't get it. I can't get him over AD. I'm sorry. AD's unbelievable. Like, it, it's, yeah. It, I, I'm sorry, if Kings fans. I know, but Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. Like, it's kind of what it comes down to. He was probably one of the five best defensive players and one of the ten best offensive players uh, when he was playing this year. Yep. So, it's kind of tough to beat that. Uh, okay, our final All-NBA teams midseason. Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, first team for me. Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic, first team for Mark. Second team, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Zion Williamson, Joel Embiid for Mark. John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, Joel Embiid for me. Third team, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Paul George, Pascal Siakam, Anthony Davis for me. Uh, Devin Booker, third team guard? Yes. Who is your second third team guard? I'm sorry. Oh, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. Uh, Paul George, Pascal Siakam, Anthony Davis for Mark. Uh, All apologies to Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, DeMar, DeRozan, LeBron James, Jeremy Grant, Jalen Brown, Damana Sabonis, Bam Adebayo, Jaron Jackson. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I've got in terms of the honorable mentions. Okay, it's time for Mark Schindler's Prospect of the Week. Mark, let's dive in. And talk about Bryce Sensabaugh. We want to talk about him a little bit last week. Fascinating prospect that I love dearly because he is uh, a Ohio State Buckeye that has one of the most like fun, aesthetically pleasing games to watch because of how much he can like power through guys, but also has great shake, uh, making every mid-range jumper it feels like right now. Uh a fascinating prospect that I think more than anything is going to be a real discussion point and like a lightning rod this year for the process versus results discussion 
and the analytics versus scouting discussion. He is absolutely beloved by analytics models. The super high two-point shooting, the fact that he knocks down threes, the high volume shot creation mixed with efficiency, all of that is like off the charts for Sensabaugh. The process by which he gets there leaves some aspects that are a bit concerning, I think. And Mark, let's kind of dive in from there uh, because it's a really interesting discussion. Well, I think what's so fascinating about Bryce is like, and I thought about this uh, when I watched him in in AAU this past year, I just like don't really have somebody who he compares to when you think about frame and how he plays. Like there just aren't a lot of guys who are 6'6", 250, built like a defensive end that are playing like this. Um, And what's been so, again, what's so fascinating, like I, when I was trying to like pick things apart and and having watched them play throughout the, the, the season so far, there has been no dip whatsoever. Like he has been rock steady in terms of what he's doing consistency wise, um, which is what makes it so, again, so fascinating. Cause like there isn't some outlier game where it's like, Oh, well he played really bad here. Like, no, the shots have fallen every single game. And what you're talking about with the process is what's uh, what's difficult because he is like, He's shooting just about 50% on pull-up twos right now per in-stat scouting uh, while taking a lot per game. Like that, a lot of his shot diet is pull-up twos. Um, he's shooting just about 40% from from on pull-up threes. On, that's only about one per game. He doesn't take tons of them. Um, but point being, like with what his efficiency is right now, and this is, this is less saying I think that they're going to stop falling, more what does it look like if they stop falling? Because I think that's what I've been coming back to ask myself. Like, this stuff has been awesome. Like watching the Purdue game last night, there's a play where Mason Gillis is just like absolutely draped over him defensively after he snakes a pick and roll, hits a turnaround fadeaway, and that's with like two hands right in his face, like right over top. I I, I just want to point out too, like his footwork is so good off drives. Yes. His footwork's really damn good in the lane. He knows how to use the strength and bump people off. Everything is very good with that in terms of creating space, you know, uh, going backwards, east-west. The issue is just, okay, very few of his shots are self-created at the rim. And I think that's less about, like, saying that he's a bad prospect, more about when you're talking about what he can become and what the higher ceilings are. And I think some of what I've seen thrown around, I just have more questions about that. Like, he doesn't have a great first step, in my opinion. He has some shake and handle, but I don't think it's to a level where he can really just displace guys with that. Um, So then when you're talking about, okay, well, if he's shooting 41 or 42% on pull-up twos, what does that mean for his overall shot diet and consistency? What what kind of offense are you living off of at that point? Is that um, saying good enough is wrong? Because it's still like a good offensive archetype, but like there's a lot less inherent value when you're not shooting to that level. Well, Especially- it's like what happens when Harrison Barnes is guarding you versus Mason Gillis is guarding you, let yeah. alone like Paul George or someone else that's like a genuinely great defender. But yeah. like Harrison Barnes is 6'8 with a seven foot wingspan and is just as strong as Bryce Sensabaugh. So what happens then is mm-hmm. kind of the question here. Yeah, no, exactly. Because like I think that, but also, okay, what about the passing to you? Because I think, uh, I don't think that the passing is is like, bad per se i think part of it has been role like his role is very much like come off screens attack second side 
he's not exactly somebody who I would call a willing passer right now. Like his his first read is shot, his second read is shot, his third read is shot. Um, that's part of that's he's been that good. But I like, don't think it's that bad, but I know. Yeah, I, I don't. No, I don't. And again, I don't mean it. In a, I didn't mean that to sound like a, as a derogatory about how he passes, but like I think it's more. He's been such a good shooter right now. Like I, I meant to couch this as like I'm not super worried about his passing. Like I think he can make good reads. Um, I think he has good ball placement. Um, it's more so I just he like can throw, he can throw live dribble, like one handed passes to keep the offense yeah. in flow as well. A lot yeah. of his passes don't necessarily go for assists, but I do think that like, if he sees that he's cut off, he's pretty good at moving it quickly. Yeah. I think in terms of like, again, like this is more like when we're talking about the highest levels, I do have a lot more questions about what some of the on-ball playmaking looks like, but I also yes. think in a different role in, in the pros, like it's going to, we're going to see more reps. That could be good. That could be bad. Um, but I like, again, I, I think I lie mostly neutral on his playmaking and it's better than it. It probably gets a rap for just looking at the box work. So it, it's, it's interesting to try and determine the context here. Because so Bryce Sensabaugh, let's start here, is averaging 16 points, four and a half rebounds, 1.2 assists in 23 minutes a night. Like the production here is wild. He's shooting 53, 45, 79 from the line. Like the numbers are pretty outstanding Mm -hmm. in terms of like shot creation, shot volume, shot efficiency, as mentioned above. A lot of these guys that are bigger creators, right? I tend to give them, for instance, like Scotty Barnes. Like I've talked a lot about how Scotty Barnes, one thing I missed is that he is a bigger shot creator at six foot nine, playing at Florida State where the floor was more condensed and he just didn't have real driving lanes, right? He never had them because they played a lot of guys that weren't necessarily great spacers. They always played a super giant with them, it felt like. So every time he was out there, it was it was just very difficult for him to find those lanes and find those creases to be able to put pressure on the rim. I don't think Bryce Sensabaugh has that same contextual problem. No. Ohio State, consistently under Chris Holtman, by the way, not just this season, is one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, the last four years, they are 13-4-13, and now this year they're second in offensive efficiency. And in part, that is a... That is because they run great stuff. They space the floor super well. So next to Bryce Sensabaugh in his most common lineups right now are Sean McNeil, who's an absolute sniper who gets treated like a sniper from three. Uh, Bruce Thornton, who's shooting 47% and is really starting to be treated like a real genuine shooter. Justice Suing, who often ends up playing on the ball. So there's often a guy just kind of attached to him mm-hmm. a decent amount of the time because you have to account for his passing. And because like he can shoot. I know the percentages say that like he's not a great shooter, but for the most part, teams sag off of him a little bit, not as much as they do for non-shooters, though. Yeah. So really, like you're talking about like Zed Key is the center oftentimes, and Zed Key is a non-shooter. They really only have like one non-shooter out on the court. And then like the other guys that Bryce Sensabaugh plays with like Tanner Holden, Tanner Holden is not a great shooter, but he is like a great cutter that you kind of have to stay attached to all the time. Um, Like Roddy Gale is someone that gets treated as a shooter, even though he's six for 21 this year, 
the, the scout on him is that he can knock down shots. So the spacing is there for him. And he's still like, not like you said, getting all the way to the basket. A lot of it is tough twos. And I don't know that the increased spacing of the NBA in the mid range is actually going to lead to more shots at the rim and more creation at the rim. I think it's just going to continue to lead to tough twos. And he has genuinely special touch like that. That's the thing that like, maybe we haven't talked enough about yet. His touch is elite. It's not just good. Like he can hit from a variety of angles. He always finds his balance. Uh, He shoots from three. He shoots from the mid range. He has good touch at the rim when he gets to the rim. He is also a very significant force in transition because of his power and balance combination, as well as being able to just like, catch in transition, find the ball, find the rim. He has all of that stuff. He is incredibly valuable as a scoring forward. I I just don't know. I don't think it's going to be as easy for him at the next level. Like for some guys, they talk about how it gets easier, right? Like you have more open lanes, you have more open space. It's actually just a bit simpler to drive at the next level because he doesn't have that great first step, I feel like he's going to have to use his body and his frame a lot more. And he has great strength, but like the the process is difficult here. Like that's the point. Like the process of him getting these shots is not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I would, I'd want to ask you too, how do you feel about him as an off ball player? Um, because I don't, yeah. I think what's difficult is like I, I, his usage has obviously gone down from, I mean, it, over the first five games, I think he had a 38% usage rate, which was like hilarious. Um, but I think he's like right around 30% usage this year, if I remember correctly now. And a, part of what's hard is that a lot of it is coming from him, like getting the ball. It's like, but part of it being a set, like it's like he, he has some good cuts in his in his bag like he'll he's been active in in cutting to the rim but I don't think that he's great moving without the ball and that like not that his sense of spacing is bad but again for when you're talking about a really high level off ball player I'm not quite there with him yet um and I think like adding that extra versatility to a shot like that's stuff you want to see during his rookie scale um like how that improves but I think like just pointing out like that's not where he's at yet at least in my opinion um so it's just like, I, I don't know. It, it, it definitely adds other layers to it too. I've seen some really high level moments with him. Like he had an awesome 45 cut last night against Purdue yeah. that was like absolutely fantastic. And he just face cut his man, got to the, got the catch and just like immediately went up for uh, a shot. Like it was super impressive. The, the timing was great. I've seen a couple of moments like that this year where I'm like, Okay, so like you do know how to do this, but I often also think that like he thinks maybe his best attribute is spacing away from the rim and spacing for his teammates. And I'm sure that like Chris Holtman is now telling him, hey, look, like you shoot 45% from three. I'm sure that you're on the top of the scouting report saying we have to stay attached to him as a shooter. It actually helps our offense if you just like stay out beyond the three point line. So, I think there's like a mix of it. I've seen enough of him as a cutter to where I think that he has a nose enough for the ball and for a bucket 
to where if you asked him to do that more, I think he will do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that because he's such a good shooter, it it helps to have him spacing beyond the three-point line when he doesn't have the ball. Yeah. No, that's fair. And I think to me, I was, I was even more like just relocation and stuff moving, you know, uh, moving along with drives better. Um, I do think that there's some stuff that I could see with that. That would be better, but I, I agree. Like I'm not meaning to go too hard on it. Um, you want to talk about his defense? Cause we have not talked about his defense at all. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't really either, but I think that's what's, uh, we have, we have to talk about it. It's yeah. not good. It's just yeah. actually like quite bad. point point. What is there one thing that he does well on defense? right now i'd say rebounding and that's probably it i don't even think i would say rebounding yeah true because mostly it's their center boxing out and he just grabs and goes but um yeah yeah, he's not uh what's difficult like i think part of what i really want to see him do on both ends of the court is use his frame more he doesn't use his frame defensively very well right now it's a lot of guarding with his feet and or guarding with his hands not doing both um I think, like, again, that's stuff that takes time, but I want to see that be a lot better because, like, he gets blown by a lot. Part of it, too, is he just gets kind of lost off the ball. He'll do a lot of watching an action happen after somebody cuts and uh, teams, especially Purdue yesterday. Purdue was doing a lot of, okay, we're going to set an exit screen and then have our guy lift, and then you're going to be caught in no man's land, and we're going to get – even if it's not an open shot, there was a bunch of stuff yesterday where – the ball just got whipped to the guy in the slot. Somebody had to recover, and then the ball was pinging around, and then open shot happened, which is a yeah. big part of them getting back into the game after they went down big early. Um, that's not all on Bryce, to be fair, but decent amount of it was on him. So uh, I think like that. He, he, he was the attack point. Like yeah. we'll say that. Like he he was the point that Matt Painter pinpointed in that game. Yeah. It felt like as yeah. yeah, like as he. <laughs> I had you. Oh, man. Uh, but like he, he was he was the point that Matt Painter was like, okay, we are going to try and get him now. Yeah. Um it's a problem. So it's a real it's a real significant problem, I think. Now, like l- let's play the game that you hate playing. Yes. Um the Mark Schindler, I make him pick one prospect or another game. Cam Whitmore or Bryce Sensabaugh? Uh, Whitmore. Okay. So I agree. But I do I'll, just I will, okay, the let's, idea. Yeah, let me, let me, let me catch this. All right. <laughs> if they are both playing like this, the same way that they have been, or roughly the same that they have been in a month, I'll probably change my mind. Um, I think that's more so like, I just anticipate Cam continuing to get better. Um, but if he doesn't, yeah, I think that there's more conversation to be had, but I would probably still lean Cam. I would lean Cam purely based off of athletic potential and potential to be a shot creator. I saw someone in the comments ask, uh, are we sure Cam Whitmore isn't a better Isaac Okoro? Uh, I think he's a way better shot hunter than Isaac Okoro ever mm-hmm. was. He can get to his pull-up game. He's way, way, way better touch than Isaac Okoro did. I know that he's shooting like And he's actually 26. a good vertical athlete, which helps too. Yeah. Like Cam is shooting 26% from three right now, but he's at 82% from the line. Like he has real – there are mechanical things that we'll talk about at some point this year, but like he has real touch, I think, mm-hmm. at the very least. Um and defensively, I, look, Cam is not like some incredible defender yet in terms of he's his awareness. He's so and much he, better than Bryce defensively right he's now. He's a lot better. 
He's a lot better. Yeah. Um, but I will just note, uh, they're both playing about 23 minutes a night. Cam Whitmore's averaging 11.6 rebounds, 0.6 assists while shooting 45% from the field. Bryce Sensabaugh is averaging 16, four and a half and 1.2 while shooting 53% from the field and 45% from three. Uh, the performances this year, Bryce Sensabaugh has been better. I do think I would take the bet on Whitmore still over Sensabaugh. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. Uh, Bryce Sensabaugh or Grady Dick? Ooh, that see, that's a good one. Uh, that one's tough. I think this is one of the <laughs> toughest ones we've done. I think I would, I would probably lean Grady just because I value him so much as as an off ball player and what he's going to do slotting into an offense without needing a ton of usage and also being a really good connector and ball mover. Um, but if you're a team that is looking for secondary shot creation, I think Bryce makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. So I think it would depend. I, I this is, I, I would, I think I ultimately would go Bryce here. So you, you flipped. <laughs> you, yeah. you started I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, well, Bryce is all like, I don't, I think I can go in as far as saying Bryce is as good of a shooter as, as Grady. Well, wanting to see more still versatility wise, but I like, I mean, they're, I think I would go ah, just because the, the potential that I think Bryce has to be even more so as a shot creator. I think that I would probably lean Bryce, but again, depends on the team i think i'd go bryce i have them literally right next to each other on my board yeah that's that's, Um, this is torture thanks yeah uh right now and this is absolutely subject to change i think i would lean grady dick because i think that the shooting is better Mm. Uh, i think that his off ball cutting and playmaking and passing is better I think that he fits a little bit better as a uh, secondary offensive piece that can be a genuine weapon. I also think he's been better defensively than Sensabaugh has been this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it tough. So like great. Here's the thing. Like Grady is big. Grady is like six, seven, six, eight. Like he's listed at six, eight. I'll be interested to see what he comes in at. Mm. Um, He he is bigger than Sensabaugh. I don't think he plays bigger. But like from a height perspective and probably from a, I don't know. How long do you think Sensabai is? That's one that I can't really wrap my head around yet. See, what's tough to, I don't think that he is a big wingspan. I think he's maybe like a plus two guy. Like, I, I don't think he's got a lot of wingspan. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it, but I'm not, not totally sure that I've got one here. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tricky. Uh, okay. Jarris Walker or Bryce Sensabaugh? Jarris. I agree purely based off of the defense and Jarris is coming on. Like Jarris has had a – I have to watch it still, but he just had a really nice game yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh or Jet Howard? Oh, Jet. Jet easily for me. Like, oh, wow. Okay. I don't have to so, think twice about it. Okay. So I, I do think this is one – I disagree with, and I'm, you know, probably somewhat biased, but like as much as we talk about jet and his 
you know, lack of first step. I, I think it's actually a bit worse than Bryce's. Mm-hmm. His first step. I, I think that he has a bit more shake and like can operate a bit more as like a secondary ball handler that can pass and make plays. I don't think that like he has as much shake as a scorer as Bryce does. I think that Bryce's touch is better. I don't think either of them are very good defensively. I think I would bet on Bryce's shot creation a little bit more than Jets right now. Yeah, I think I would just bet on Jet because to me he's kind of the perfect blend of uh, of what Bryce and Grady bring as just a really smart off-ball player who also brings some of the scoring versatility. Well, I, I would say he's a better shooter than Bryce. Just based, I mean, he's been one of the best shooters in the class um, with everything he's brought on and moving off the ball too. Um, so I think to me, like, he's, especially with what he brings as a passer too, I think I would, I would just be that much more in on that. Movement shooting is an interesting aspect of Jet Howard in comparison to Bryce Sensabaugh. Yeah. Like the numbers are worse for Jet, but Jet, Jet takes substantially harder shots from yeah. behind the three point line at the very least. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, where where do you have? Let, let's just go with this. Where do you have Bryce Sensabaugh right now? Uh he teeter. He's like fourteen to eighteen range for me right now. Um, yeah. So. That's why it's the same with Brady. Yeah, like 12 to 17. So I'm Mm -hmm. even like a little bit higher, but yeah. Uh, I I have him in that like, in that middle, like I can't get him ahead of, for instance, like Kaysen Wallace. Because I think Kaysen is just such a stud defensively and can shoot and makes plays with the ball. And and like, I just kind of buy him as like a super winning player at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Yeah, Um, no, I couldn't. There's no way. Kaysen outside the lottery would just be like, that can't happen. I can't get there. You no. can't, when you have a player that good defensively who can shoot, like, nope, not going to happen. Well, and I'll say this too. So, like, since we have had our conversation about Keontae George, uh, Keontae has been great mm-hmm. and I think is really, really starting to get comfortable over the course of his last three games. Uh, Keontae is averaging 21.3 points, five rebounds, 2.3 assists, only shooting 36% from the field, but like, that's really because of like the one Iowa state game where it was a bit tough. Like the TCU game, he was a monster. He had 27 points. He lived at the foul line. Um, was really, really effective running the offense. I thought, can I give you a random take from that game? Yeah. I would do so much to make Emmanuel Miller, a really good shooter. I love watching Emmanuel Miller play. That dude is so good. Love it. He's really talented defensively. Like can, actually like attack and face up and like, ah, oh God, I just wish I feel like that entire TCU team. I just look at like the top six guys. and I'm like, if they just have like one little thing, like I could buy it. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, uh, I, I have that. I have enjoyed TCU this year minus yeah. their, uh, their one game where they absolutely blew it, but we'll forget about it. Okay. Mark, the last thing on the docket today is something that you have requested. You have requested the floor. Uh, yeah. I uh, talk about your beloved Georgetown Hoyas. Beloved is getting tough. I uh, There's this one page, uh, I think it's Casual Hoya, that tweets out every day, the date, comma, Rick Patino. And I'm getting dangerously closer every day to liking that, no matter how much I don't want to. Um, and this is just- I would be, I, let, let me be clear about this. I would be staggered if they oh, hired Rick same. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, but. I think it'd be a great hire, and I think he would bring Georgetown back to relevance. I would be staggered if that program hired Rick Pitino. Yeah. 
Um, it's just this, like I I played myself by getting even remotely <laughs> excited about what this year could be. Um, like I loved watching Brandon Murray at LSU, and to be fair, like Brandon Murray has been a joy this year. He's really good. I think he's so a legit enough. prospect. Maybe not necessarily this year, but it's coming. He had one of the sickest dunks of the season in in this latest the bamboozling game against Villanova. Um, it's just been like this team is talented. Like there's legitimate talent on this team. Like I, I just Brandon Murray is really good. Primo Spears, good offensive player. Jay Heath is solid. Akoka Cook is a guy who I've enjoyed watching for a while. Um, there's no cohesion whatsoever. The defense is an absolute joke. Well, do, do you know what the cohesion is? It's get Cutis Wahab the ball on the block and let the big man dominate. I love Cutis Wahab, so don't get me wrong. But like, I yeah, it's been it's been just so difficult to watch, and especially too, it's not like they're just getting blown out every game. It's they're in every game and then they get blown out. It's like every single loss feels like the worst loss possible. Like the Connecticut game, that's fine. I don't mind. You you lose to a top five team in the country after having a lead at halftime. Cool. Like I can I can get on board with that. Um, it's just the other loss. Like losing to Syracuse by twenty points, and Syracuse has like been one of the four or five worst teams in the ACC this year. Like they have staggeringly bad losses on their resume. They lost to South Carolina. Um, that team has been like we've talked about them plenty it's like i mean every game it's so gross do do you know how many straight high major games georgetown has lost they haven't won a big east game since 2020 if i remember correctly it's close they didn't win a big east game last year they've lost 30 straight games against high major opponents yeah Uh, if that's not time to fire patrick ewing i don't know what is This, this is becoming Kind of embarrassing. Like, if I'm being thir- 30 straight high major games for a program that cares about basketball, for a fan base that like genuinely cares about basketball. Here's the other thing too. They're just making like embarrassing like decisions. Like I know that Hilltop Hoops, the guy uh, who is – um, on Twitter, Hilltop Hoops, he brought a sign to the game basically saying, like, time for a change. And they made him, like, get rid of it because, according to him, uh, the answer came from down low. Like, it came from, like, the bench side or, you know, the, the administration of some sort, basically. So it's just like, what are we doing here? We're, we're, we're having fans like be forced to get rid of signs. That's like James it, Dolan shit, like, man. Well, it's <laughs> like, like it's amateur hour. It is. It's James Dolan shit. Like, uh, what are we doing here? Are we living like in La La Land where this stuff isn't happening and you haven't lost 30 straight high major games? Like, are, are we pretending that Patrick Ewing is the answer still when he is one miracle Big East tournament run away from utter disaster? As a coach, yeah. like I think what's so tough too, like I because that big East run, don't get me wrong, that was so fun. Like that was the best moment I've had as a fan since like the OPJ year. Um and then they lost by 23 in the tournament. Yeah. Um 
and it's just like I mean, again, they went six and twenty-five, zero and nineteen in the Big East last year, which that was just disturbing. But like this year, I like just going down what the schedule is. I think it's entirely feasible that they don't win in the Big East again this year. Like, it doesn't feel like. I mean, I think it's more likely than not that they'll win at least one game. But exactly, like we're talking about Georgetown, and like it's no, it's not the same program. It hasn't been for a decade. Um, but, but there's no reason it shouldn't be. Is the thing you have a Maryland program over the course of the last little while that, like under Mark Turgeon, was down for a substantial period of time. Like George Mason has not been super high level program. George Washington has not been a super high level program. Like VCU has been really good, but the programs in the area kind of like opened it up for you to continue to be great. If you hired the right guy and you just didn't, and they don't look coherent on the court when you watch them just straight up. Like, let's, let's just call it what it is. Like bad basketball, posting, like all the posting time. up cutest Wahab 89 times this year, which is top 20 in the country so far. Is not the answer. Like, all due respect to Cutis Wahab, but, like, he's, what, your fourth best offensive player? Yeah, probably. Um, and I think to me, like, yeah, the offense – I mean, the offense is terrible. It's been terrible under Pat. Like, it's always been pretty ass-backwards uh, when you're talking about actual modernity of it. What is – again, it's just, like, the defense is 345th in the country – like, I've got them at 282 adjusted defensive. Efficiency oh, okay. I was looking at just straight up defensive rating, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, both paint pretty terrible pictures and it, I think what's so difficult too, and it almost just feels like a hopeless situation in some ways. Cause it's like, okay, cool. We're going to fire the best player in program history. Like, and it, it's, it's hard too. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not around the program, not inside of it, but like, everything is still connected to to John Thompson um, and what that team, what that era was. And if you cut Pat, okay, where do you go? Like, where, where are you supposed to go from here? And I think what's, I mean, it's terrifying because it's like, okay, you have to, they're, they're now at the point where they can't really tap back into that and all, and they have to rebuild this from the ground up. Like, I think part of the idea of bringing in Pat was, well, maybe we can just, you bring in the big name like that. He can recruit well, um, and you know he's just a good enough coach that it works and and he he learns on the job with that or not that he needed to learn on the job like he's been coaching for a long time but um you get what i'm saying but like yeah. i think this is very much now just at the point where it's you kind of have to throw away everything and be like okay we we have to start from ground one because i mean ground zero because yeah. this has hit like as far rock bottom as possible if it could have if it could have uh, when you look at when they fought the Chinese national team, did you think there could be a bigger rock bottom than that? I didn't. I sure as hell didn't think there was a bigger rock bottom than that. Uh, I I feel like I've watched that video so many times over the last couple of weeks just out of sheer agony. But, um, yeah, it's it's frustrating, man. It makes me want to get – not that I could fix it. It makes me want to get into coaching because I could fix it. But, no, I can't. Um, something has to happen. And it's got to happen this year because this, I, if, like, I mean, you can't have another season of this. I said that before this season, but uh, you know they didn't. They didn't listen. So here we are. Yeah, look, I, I just don't think that. I, I think you have to make a change before the end of the year. I do. Yeah. Like I, I think that you look at the fan base online. You look at the guy, people who are coming to games. Like there's just 
is such little engagement. It feels like such positive, such little positive feeling around the program right now. Like maybe it's, maybe it's Patrick Ewing taking one for the team and the program is like, look, we will give you all of the buyout. We will let you step aside. We'll let you be the person who's like the bigger man for the sake of the program, all that stuff. But like, you, you gotta, you gotta rip the bandaid at this point. There, it, it, we know it's coming. You can't lose 30 straight high major games at any job, period. Like you, you can't do it, let alone at Georgetown, which should be a top 25 program in the country just based off of where the school is, resources uh, thrown into the program. They have everything that you could ask for. And this team has lost 30 straight high major games. Well, I mean, exactly what you're saying. That's what's so frustrating is that this team should own the DMV in recruiting and they have like nothing. I'll say this, like now that Kevin Willard is there, I think that Georgetown honestly like might've missed a real window here to like establish a real spot because Kevin Willard is really good. Like that is a big thing worth talking about. Like he doesn't yet have the guys that he's going to get there, but Evan Willard is like, I know that they've lost, I think like five of seven or six of eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Kevin Willard's a really good basketball coach. And once he gets his like super tough dudes there that will just run the scheme and will play super hard nosed defense, it's going to be hard. Like th- this is their window to have a chance. They need to make a move. Here, here's the thing too. Like typically when you, raise this question it's like oh well who are you going to do that's better anyone like any successful college basketball coach at this point would be better uh i know that like ed cooley is the pipe dream seemingly that i've seen brought up i don't know if i was i I think that's tough i I, I like cooley but like i feel like he do you feel like he's gonna leave providence like why would he leave i don't that's my take i I will say like the upside in a program like Georgetown, just in terms of like the resources you have at your disposal, they're better. But if I was Ed Cooley, I wouldn't leave. I, yeah, I, would, I mean, especially too, like used, you're leaving yeah. in conference to go to a worse situation, at least starting off. Because again, like that, this is not like a, a one year fix everything. This is like, I mean, that's going to take years. Well, and more than anything, Providence has already figured it out. Like yeah. they get transfers in every year, they figure out how to win. And they teach really well and they make it work. Um, Can you do that at Georgetown? Probably, but like you already have it going at Providence and that's your plan. Maybe you could get better high upside younger kids, but not to, not to keep belonging. But I think what's tough too is like you Georgetown, cannot be a transfer school for the most part. Like they're going to have the exact, I mean, it's not the exact same as Stanford Northwestern, but like with how high some of the academic standards are, it's not as easy to just bring guys in like that. Um, like, I think that they're going to have real barriers to being a big transfer school. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it makes me uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like, they, they've gotten transfers in the last oh, couple yeah. years. I mean, like, yeah, they, they just got Brandon, but part of that, too, like, Brandon was a DMV guy that they let go and shit hit the fan at LSU, so it made sense. Um, I don't know. Sorry for making an, you talk about this, but it makes me yeah. sad. Like I had to, I had to get it off my chest. I, I think there are enough guys that they can find that they can be a transfer 
school. Like it's not like UCLA, like UCLA struggles to get transfers in. Uh, and that is a real problem for them. Uh, Georgetown very clearly is allowing transfers in despite being like a super high end academic school. So I, I would feel pretty good about being able to make that being able to make the turn quickly if you hire the right guy, but like you, you gotta, you gotta find the guy and we'll see who that ends up being. I, if I was them, I would go totally away from like the John Thompson era, but yeah. I'm, you know, we'll see if that happens. My I assumption that is that say. that's not going to happen based on. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we will see. Uh, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Tell the people uh, what you need to tell them. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. I'm pretty active there. Uh, all my work and stuff will be going up there. Some would uh, say been... too active. <laughs> that, that's that's a fair point. Um, no, I should have some ranking. I'm actually, speaking of Ed Cooley Providence, I'll have something coming out on Bryce Hopkins soon because he has been electric lately. Um, he's continued to go from a guy who, like, seeing him the first couple – weeks earlier this season i was like oh i think if a couple things hit right like this is a next year guy to be excited about i think we're hitting the stage of like this is a guy we've talked about for this year um i agree i am uh yeah i'm getting some words out on him soon so yeah look out for that yeah bryce hopkins so far this season is shooting 39 percent from three plus true shooting percentage drawing fouls at like a fairly prodigious rate while also crashing the glass at a really high level and leading Providence toward the top of the big East to this point, 16 points, nine rebounds, two got a big win over UConn the other day. So, yep. And was really, really good in that game. 27 points, five rebounds. Uh, I will have a mock draft next week, folks. That is what I will be spending my next few days working on. So uh, that is what you can be excited about. I will have something on Monday with spins. I will have something later in the week with Schindler and I'll have another pod at some point in the week as well. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.